Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. We are delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70. As you know by now, our signature feature is women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are leading lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest is not scripted or rehearsed, although we will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. I am so delighted today to welcome Judy Schindler to Woman Over 70, where aging is reimagined every day in every way. Hello, Judy. I can't even say hello without starting to laugh. <laughs> well, that's a good sign. Hi, Gail. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for inviting me. Hello. Yes. You know, you have been a an acclaimed person in the in Chicago and Ooh. yes you have and you are a truly multifaceted renaissance woman and that's one of the reasons we're so happy to have you on this on our podcast today you are currently an actor who performs live on stage and listeners you may have seen her in the recent production of acclaimed of admissions by uh, Joshua Harmon at Theater Wit in Chicago. Judy is also the author of Husbands, and Owner's Manual, in which she explains how to select a husband and how to maintain him in good working order. <laughs> Prior to writing the book, Judy began entertaining audiences with her witty, candid advice on men and marriage based on her 50-year-plus marriage to Jack Schindler. You don't get where Judy has been or where she is now without passion, steadfast perseverance, and a strong sense of humor. At 77, Judy's blog, get this, The Toilet Seat Must Go Down, has become a go-to resource for observations about dating and mating. Judy, I'm really so excited. We are so excited to welcome you to Women Over 70. Well, thank you so much. It's fun to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your life before you became an entertainer and an actor. Well, actually, you could almost go back to college. When I went off to college, I was debating whether I was going to major in journalism or theater because those were my two great loves in high school. Uh, and I thought about it for a while, and I really thought I would probably get more work as a writer and an editor than I would playing Juliet. So I took the, made the decision at 18, if you can believe it, that I would become a journalism major. And I'm very happy I did because I did have a wonderful career. But uh, when I got older and I had a public relations and marketing communications firm for probably 40 years, uh, I began to realize that I was aging out of this profession. And here I was with 10 employees, at that time the astronomical sum of 5000 a month in rent, and I couldn't make long-term decisions because I, I wasn't confident that 
anybody wanted a little old lady publicist and that I would still be able to bring in business and uh, maintain my overhead into the future. So I uh, sold my business to someone who was younger than myself and continued to work in that business for a period of time. But it wasn't very satisfying to me. Um, I had so much of my identity was tied in to being a business owner over the years. Gail, as you know, I was active in women's enterprise as well as small business interests. And um, not being a business owner was kind of a, a void. So I decided I would take some classes. I'd find some kind of new identity. And I went back to one of my original loves, which was theater, and started taking some acting classes. You and I, we met through originally the National Association of Women Business Owners. You were a past president, and I was a past, I'm a past president. You're still a past president. You haven't changed. Right, we are. <laughs> and so, and we're both still active in NABO. And, uh, but you were a founder, as I understand. Uh, I was on the original board and the third president. So uh, when I first started my business in public relations, uh, I was looking for, I didn't know the net word networking at that point, but I did want to find other women who were in business. And I read an article about a group of women from Washington that were coming in to Chicago and, and having this first startup meeting at the Palmer House Hotel. So I showed up, I raised my hand to ask a question, and the next thing I knew I was on the board. It's kind of the way novel works. You know, you raise your hand and you get sucked in. So that's, the rest is history. So, so you, but you've been active in it for so very long, and I, I'm just wondering, as an aside, we'll absolutely get back to what you're doing so beautifully today, but I'm just curious, what made volunteering worthwhile for you? How, wh what did you find in volunteering that, that worked? Well, I mean, various different things throughout the 40-some the years I was involved in NABO. Uh, at the beginning, it was because I needed peers that I could talk to. I say that, you know, when I started my business, I knew a lot about uh, writing and public relations and marketing. What I didn't know anything about was owning a, running a business. And everything I learned about running a business, I learned from other women through that organization. Um, over the years, and this is, you know, these are my friends were the other women in, in the organization. So uh, what I got back from that was uh, being with them. And then, of course, I, I after all those years, I had somewhat of a proprietary or even a parental feeling about the organization. And I, um, it, I feel that it, it's my baby and I want to be part of it. <laughs> that makes sense. I just could I have a quick question about you said that when you had your your PR business that you were aging out of a profession. And did, was that something you were anticipating or were you already getting clues or cues that that was actually the case? It was my own anticipation. Um, you know, as you get closer to 65 how prescient on my side, because of course, all of PR and marketing changed completely overnight. It's an entire different, different skill set today. And it wasn't that I was anticipating that everything would go social media and digital, it, it, uh, and that the ability to place a story in a newspaper would suddenly be a skill that, um, close to buggy whips. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I just had an instinct 
that especially in the kind of PR that I was doing, which was mostly local PR and was getting people on television and on radio shows and into the newspapers, that people wanted younger people to do that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So it wasn't that I felt that I was that I was subjected to any ageism at that point. I was just anticipating. I was maybe 62 when I decided this, that I, I needed to find um, an exit strategy. Uh-huh. And you've even become a digital expert in your own right now. I, I have skills that, that would amaze me. That would have amazed me. It is amazing, right? What we can do. Yes, is- true. <laughs> so, 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 so let's talk about uh, your path as an actor and how did you, you know, how did you hone that skill and how did you start getting invited to, to be in plays and, and then tell us about your own one woman show that you started. Um, so I, I started by taking a class. It wasn't a very good class, but the benefit of that class is I met a, a lot of other uh, would-be actors who told me about better classes to take. And so I found better classes, and uh, I began to see that uh, my fellow students were auditioning and had headshots, and I thought, well, why not me? I could do that too. Uh, and so as my um, responsibilities in the company uh, began to lessen, I now had the ability to get an agent and go out and audition. You know, I don't know if you're aware about of it, but Chicago is really one of the largest theater centers in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have something like 250 different theater companies in Chicago. New York can't say that and L.A. can't say it because the rents there are higher. So these little companies that can rent out storefronts and become a theater company, it's much easier for them here in Chicago. Plus, we have a magnet, uh, two magnets, several magnets, uh, the theater schools in Chicago, DePaul, Northwestern, uh, Roosevelt, short-term theater program at Steppenwolf. These are all pretty well-known names. So we have tons and tons of young talent in Chicago, and they all start theater companies, and so we have 250. So there's plenty of opportunity in this city to start auditioning. And as a non-union old lady, there's something of a hot commodity, I have to say. <laughs> so you don't have to belong to the union in order to be an actor? Not even in an equity show, because... Uh, uh, even the equity companies will cast non-equity actors by the, by the um, terms of their contract. They're required to to hire so many union actors, but uh, they can still hire one or more non-union, depending on the level of their contract. Play that you referenced before uh, at Theater Wit, it's an equity theater, but they are only required by their contract because of their size and because of how many performances and how many seats in their theater. Um, they are only required to have one equity actor in their shows. Hmm. So so your agent, you, you hired an agent. Well, an agent hires you, but yes. Right, right. <laughs> you talked an agent into hiring you. <laughs> Right. And, uh, and so then, you know, how did you start? Uh, how did you start in theater? Theater auditions are listed on two different websites in Chicago. Um, once the League of Chicago Theaters lists uh, uh, auditions and um, theater in Chicago, another website lists auditions. But to get commercial auditions, that you need an agent for. Uh, there's still only... Uh, today, there's like maybe four or five major uh, um, 
casting agencies. Mostly they go through agents that they need for whatever they need. Uh, and your agent sends you out on those kind of auditions. Uh-huh. So where's the very first place that you you began? Very first show I was in was at uh, Northern Illinois University. It was just it wasn't even one of their regular performances. Uh, one of the uh, faculty members there was doing a uh, had written his own show and was doing a casting and I auditioned and he cast me. I was cast as a thirty five year old. Uh-huh. Uh, Mexican American, oversex Mexican American, and uh, a mutual friend of ours said to me, "Judy, how are you going to play oversexed?" <laughs> Not how are you going to play thirty-five? Five, or how are you going to play Mexican American? How are you going to play oversex? That was her, her yeah, comment. Right, right. <laughs> That's great. So, so tell me, you know, we know life doesn't go exactly in a straight line, right? And right. Did you encounter any obstacles? Did you have any doubts? Did you wonder, should I really be doing this or not? Oh, it was very scary. Um, first, it's scary because, you know, most of the people in the acting world are in their 20s and 30s. As I said, all those people that graduate from all the schools I mentioned before or come to Chicago for, for uh, Second City. Um, so you feel, I always feel and still do sometimes conspicuously old. Um, but, um, and then of course it's scary to get up there with lines you've worked so hard to memorize and for, you know, and not fall flat on your face. But, you know, I, I think that if I had fallen flat on my face in my twenties, it might've been devastating at this point in my life. Um, it's not, it does make a difference, doesn't it? Right. I think we have, as we get older, more room for failure and more room to take risks and therefore more room for rewards. <laughs> so what is it like relating to the 20 and 30-year-olds in the theater world? <laughs> um, you have to get used to tattoos. And a lot <laughs> of them smoke. I just cannot understand this. Why in the world do they smoke? But they do. Um, but I've had some, made some really wonderful relationships. Um, I'm very close to a young woman in her 30s. We met in a class. We sort of formed our own accountability group, like we do in business. I've been introducing accountability to the theater world. And um, she's now very successful. I'm very thrilled for her. She's going to be in her second show at Goodman uh, this uh, winter. Um, it, it's. Um, it's very rewarding. I mean, that's what keeps you uh, vibrant, alive, and knowing things is, is by being young, with younger people. I know that you created a one-woman show. Yes. And tell us about that. Well, uh, the thing that was kind of surprising to me about acting is that actors are really the low man in the totem pole. You go to... Um, a commercial shoot, for example, you keep your mouth shut and you sit in a corner and you wait till the lighting guy, the sound guy, the director, and everybody else thinks it's right for you to get up and, and come in there. And you don't say a word, you just sit there. And if they want you to be outside in 20 to below without a coat on, because that's what they're shooting, while you do it and then you go back and sit there and be quiet. And of course, I have this feeling, having run my own business for 40 years, that I'm in charge of everything. So that's a very difficult thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided I should write a show. 
that I could perform for women's organizations. Um, so although one thing that I know a lot about is being married, having success, been successfully married for more than 50 years. So I put together this um, show with audiovisual supports, and um, I hired uh, some uh, college students who uh, were in film in film school to help me put together the audio visuals that I would need for the show. And um, I went out and started performing it. And then as I began performing it, everybody thought, oh, well, you should have the book. You should write a book. So then I wrote the book. And yeah, so I spent like most of my time. Judy, where do you like to perform this show? Um, if some of our listeners had the perfect venue for you, what would it be? Uh, well, I've been performing at women's organizations, but also a lot of women's groups at country clubs and city clubs. Um, I've done some senior centers, which is a lot of fun, too. Um, I would say, uh, I, and I've also done some work with uh, financial service companies that just want to entertain women to bring women in. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a wonderful venue for me as well. Mm. Okay, so then you then you wrote a book to a company. I don't know if it was to accompany your show, but you wrote well, a book. Of the show. And then uh, I started, then I had to write a blog in order to promote the book and the show. Uh, so uh, I blog and I, uh, I uh, do these shows and try to keep up with it all. So the but the book is called Husbands, Husbands Owners and Owners Manual, right? And um, I uh, well, you know, this goes back to my entrepreneurial um, uh, background. Is that I didn't want to just do a print-on-demand book. Uh, I felt that this is the kind of book you would buy for somebody as a gift. And so a, a book that you buy for somebody as a gift should be hardcover and have a lot of color. Um, so I hired an, uh, first of all, I hired an editor to help me make it more funny because I was translating what I thought was funny in a performance to paper, uh, which had to be longer as well. Um, so I, I needed some help. And then I probably worked a whole year in order to bring it to what I thought was reasonable for book format. And then I hired a designer to make it look like fun <laughs> and um, proofreader. And then I had it printed. So now I have, uh, well, I, I pr originally printed 1,500 books, but now I have down to about 1,000 um, <laughs> that I'm trying to sell. So if anybody would like a book, yes, I'd we'll love to sell them one. <laughs> Well, they can contact you to get a copy, right? I mean, it's, it's really a fun book, and it does make a terrific gift. There's no question about it. So tell can you share any of the juicy parts in the book? I know there are plenty that our listeners might like to hear. Uh, I think there's a piece about professional athletes. Well, I always say that, you know, you never want to get involved with a professional athlete. Um, and I point to Tiger Woods, but there are so many examples. Uh, professional athletes, you see, were all once remarkably gifted children. From the time they could swing a club or a bat or dribble a ball, they were treated like little gods. And as they got older, um, women threw themselves at them. Men just wanted to hang around them. And uh, when they even got older and went away to college, they were given better food to eat than the other students and excused from tests. So I always say that uh, professional athletes get away with murder. And in the case of O.J. Simpson, sometimes literally. 
Oh my. <laughs> and and what are some of the statements? You know, you talk about cracking the code. What are some of the statements that men often make that we should be aware of? Well, you know, when a man says, I need to find myself, what he means, don't you? <laughs> yeah, he's done with you. <laughs> he means I have a girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> right. And if he says, uh, we're growing in different directions. He means the girlfriend's 10 years younger than you. <laughs> right. And if he says, I'm just not happy, he means I have a girlfriend who's 10 years younger than you and pregnant. <laughs> that would make him unhappy, don't you think? <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so what, are, what are some of the things you can tell our listeners that might help them make a leap, take a leap of faith like you did? you know, into something totally new. It's really an unusual thing, what you've accomplished, Judy. Thank you. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is take classes, and preferably real classes with, you know, not just online, because not only will you get a lot of information about the field that you're interested in, but you'll meet other people who can point you in the right direction or help you serve as your accountability group. Um, I think classes are the most important. Uh, the second most important thing is that you can't be a technophobe. There is nothing that's happening today that isn't technology-based. And I'm sure, Gail, you and Catherine know this as well as I do. Putting together a podcast required a great deal of technology that you had to learn. But everything today, young people, people under the age of 40, they don't, they don't telephone each other. They, they, um, they text they uh, Skype, they, they uh, have online conferences, they uh, share docs or documents over uh, Google Groups, but they don't call each other. So you need to know how to do all those things uh, in order to um, be part of what's happening in the world today. And finally, I think the thing we already talked about is that you have to be willing to take risks. And really, risks are nowhere near as scary uh, at this stage in our life as they were when we were starting off. I mean, if you go back to my 18-year-old decision to major in journalism rather than theater, that was a very sensible decision for an 18-year-old to make because there was way more risk if I'd majored in theater than there would have been having some solid marketable skills that I got in journalism school. Um, but that was a decision that was right for me then. But you know, in my 60s and 70s, I, I was willing to take the risk. What was the worst thing that could happen to me? It does seem that all of the journalism skills and, and public relations skills you you gained over the years are working for you today, that you're able That's to true. them, right? Right. Oh, yeah, I'm my client, <laughs> uh, which is a lot more fun. Plus... <laughs> Once in a while, people applaud for me. How much fun is that? <laughs> I'm just wondering, as you made that transition into being an actor, and you were, what, 65 when you? So early 60s. Early yeah, 60s. early 60s when I started taking classes, yes. Were there other women in your age group that uh, you looked to that, that kind of helped you move in that direction, or were you really on your own? Well, there was one other woman. Uh, in my acting classes, and she still was, thought it was hilarious that I said, you're also, I'm so glad I'm, that you're here. I was really afraid I was going to be the oldest one in the class. Um, uh, but uh, there weren't any that were at my age that were 
ahead of me doing what I did. I mean, I've certainly met women my age and older who are actors, but these are women who've been acting their whole lives. Mm -hmm. So they didn't change careers and did it. I have a friend who's really a peer who was a, uh, a nurse for many years mm-hmm. and has gone back into acting as, as, um, as much as I have, because she was always a dancer on the side, but mm-hmm. um, she can't dance professionally every year uh, anymore, but she uh, can act at this point in her life. So you went from your, you have your one woman show, then you wrote a book that now you have a blog. What's next? Uh, I still do theater. I'm in rehearsal right now for a play where I, I'm an astronaut. And, um, <laughs> Uh, it's such a crazy play. I am an astronaut, and um, the uh, theater company is called Babes with Blades, and uh, they believe in combat for women, so they, they do all plays with all women casts, uh, but they like combat. But because this is uh, science fiction, uh, we aren't going to be using any swords, although we might have been able to use light swords, but we're doing hand-to-hand combat on this mm. in this play. So... Um, They've excused me from getting down on the, my hands and knees to really pummel someone, but I do have to stop somebody from a fight, and I have to go through fight choreography in order to do that. Oh, um, but for the future, you know, I um, I still have all those books I have to sell, Catherine. So yes. uh, I'm, I'm out there. You just sold promoting. another one today. So. Oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, so uh, most of my direction is looking for new ways to market uh, the show, that show, and mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I'm working on a plan now for corporate sponsorship. Good. Oh, good. good. So, uh, if people want to purchase your book or they want to contact you, what what are the best ways for them to do that? I think go to go to my website, which which is uh, Judy Schindler, my name dot com, and it's J U D I. S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R.com. You can subscribe to my blog. I would appreciate it if you would. Or you can order the book. Or you can see a video of my show. um, Whatever you'd like on my website, (laughs) judyschindler.com. Judy, do you think about aging? Of course I do. What's getting your attention these days? Well... Um, the first thing I have to think about is, is my friends, a really good friend from high school who's had a serious stroke and probably cannot look forward to much recovery. Um, that's kind of the sad part. Mm-hmm. Um, I also look at my body, my God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's just not pretty. What can I say? <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about, Judy. No. <laughs> but you know. Um, I am the kind of person who is always thinking about what happens next. And so uh, that's why I started thinking about before it actually I was affected by ageism in my business. I was already worried about and thinking about it. So now I'm thinking about all the stuff in my house and um, trying to uh, get rid of it. I have, as a matter of fact, um, I've sold a number of things on eBay and uh, we had a garage sale this summer where I got rid of more stuff. I'm thinking about my good jewelry pieces and which of the granddaughters I want to have what. And mm-hmm. um, But, you know, your possessions begin to own you. We've been in this um, house for 40 years, so there's a lot of things to think about. Yes. Yes, for sure. What's the one thing you would like people to remember you for? 
Hmm. I'd like them to remember me for the fact that um, I kept plugging away, that I kept finding new things, new interests that I was passionate about and um, kept moving forward. Yes. Well, Judy Schindler, thank you so much for being on Women Over 70. We appreciate your conversation with us, and we know our listeners will get a lot from this, this interview. And um, we hope uh, you'll join our weekly podcast and everyone else, and we'll see you all next time on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.